0: The crocus flower is one of my favorite flowers, and I have to confess that the reason why is because of C.S. Lewis, like uh, so many things. Um, I read this one paragraph, and it immediately made this flower my favorite flower, Um, and it's helped uh, me understand the biblical biblical concept of of faith, Uh, and I want to share it with you today uh, to make sense of, of faith and what is faith. Listen to this. He says, I believe that God really has dived down into the bottom of creation and has come up bringing the whole redeemed nature on His shoulder. The miracles that have already happened are, of course, as Scripture so often says, the first fruits of that cosmic summer which is presently coming on. Christ has risen, so we shall rise. St. Peter, for a few seconds, walked on the water, and the day will come when there will be a remade universe, infinitely obedient to the will of glorified and obedient men, when we can do all things, when we shall be those gods that were described as being in Scripture. To be sure, it feels wintry enough. But often in the very early spring, it feels like that. 2,000 years are only a day or two by this scale. A man really ought to say the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago in the same spirit with which he says, I saw a crocus yesterday. Because we know what's coming behind that crocus. The spring comes slowly down this way. But the great thing is that the corner has been turned. There is, of course, this difference. That in the natural spring, the crocus cannot choose whether it will respond or not. We can you see, we have the power either of withstanding the spring and sinking back into this cosmic winter or of going on into those high midsummer pumps in which our leader, the Son of Man, already dwells and to which He is calling us. It remains with us to follow or not die. To, sorry, to follow or not, to die in this winter or to go on into that spring and that summer. Please pray with me. Lord, may we respond to you by faith through grace. I pray that you would send your spirit now to heal any shame that people might feel about not having enough faith tonight. That you would bring to our mind the, the, the clarity of, of the difference between just wishing and hoping for something and actually having faith in something and that we would be encouraged and nourished by that difference and be reminded that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, has raised from the grave and has poured out his spirits into our hearts. Lord, give us evidence and bring to our mind evidence of your work among us. and May that nourish our faith. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts Be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Friends, we're talking about faith tonight. And we're going to talk about faith for the next uh, few weeks. Um, I'm really excited and and grateful to get to lay the groundwork for this. Because on one hand, faith is such an easy word to say. I think people throw it around a ton. Um, It's also something that so few of us, we don't even know really what it means. Is it the same thing as believing Is it the same thing as hoping? Um, No, is the answer to that. Um, And and what does it mean? Like we we act like, uh, you know, um, I guess that this was brought out maybe in the way I'm praying for us tonight, but so many of us feel ashamed that we don't have enough faith and like it's something we should grow in. Uh, I think I've even asked or been asked the question, how is your faith? Which is sort of a strange question. Like maybe it's not, but I'm not convinced that we know what we mean. that question you know and so uh it's it's um i think it's actually shame inducing when you have a word that has so much power and it's littered throughout the pages of the new testament and it obviously means a lot when we use it all the time but aren't sure what it means and aren't sure kind of how we're doing with it that just creates a category that many of us sort of uh, fill with shame you know um and i hope to heal some of that tonight um by by the reading of god's word and, and unpacking it a little bit for us okay um the crocus flower uh, will help us as an image of the difference between faith and just wishing for a thing, okay? Um, if you've you got a Bible, I want you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. Any, uh, anytime we're talking about faith, a great place to start in the Bible is Hebrews 11. The word faith shows up 24 times in that passage. It's often called um, by Sunday schools around uh, you know English-speaking countries the, um, the hall of faith, like a hall of fame, because it is... Uh, a, a retelling of the entire Old Testament narrative um, through the lens of faith, and so I, I'm going to read. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing just for the sake of time today. Uh, I commend it to you, though. You've got a lot of time that we're not on this, um, so maybe check it out. Um, it, it, it's a really, it's really lovely uh, to see all of the ways that faith is exemplified and manifested in the life of people from this text, we're gonna hone in on, on chapter 11, verse one, but I, I wanna read, I'm gonna skip through a couple of things, okay? So I'm gonna start with one, and, and I'll tell you kind of where I'm jumping. So here's Hebrews 11, verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, I want you to skip ahead to like verse 13. Check this out, right? The author has gone um, you know, from um, Abel and Cain and Abraham and Sarah. And then he says this the, in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear they're seeking a homeland, and if they'd been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. I want you to see this. There is something, and this won't be the main thing we're talking about today. I just want to highlight a couple things from this chapter real quick. There's something about faith that, 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 um, that is resistance to the world as it is abraham and 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 Sarah and abel they they did not receive what God's promised now in this life, and they were they refused to be the author of Hebrews suggests that they refused to be settled with it to learn how to be content in this life in a way no. They refused to go back, and they refused to say, this is as good as it gets. I just need to get married, have my kids, have my retirement, have my bank account, have this experience, you know, satisfy the wanderlust, whatever else. No, they resisted that and said, no, I want something better that God has held out and promised me, and faith in God always entails right now for us in the present always has an element of resistance to the way things are in the world as it is. When we have faith that God has something better, it means I'm not settling for this. I want a world where nobody's trafficked. I resist making myself comfortable in a world where that happens. You see what I mean? Okay, something else I want you to see. We're going to skip ahead quite a bit to um, verse... uh, Uh... Thirty-two. And what more shall I say? He's been going through all these people like Moses and stuff like that and Rahab. He says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I want you to see this. We'll talk about this in the coming weeks when we start talking about faith being alive and dead? Is faith, according to Hebrews 11, does faith look like just a thought somebody has or a feeling somebody has in the quietness of the room? Is faith just people living their lives, but going home in their bedroom and just feeling different about God and His promises? I want you to see from this passage for just a second, faith is not just an inner peace about the context of the world, through faith, kingdoms were, con- con- were conquered, justice was enforced, fires were quenched, lions' mouths were shut. Through faith, people dressed weirdly and moved to different places and said different things and lived different lives. Faith is trust manifested in action, friends. Faith is trust manifested in action. Your faith is demonstrated by your behaviors. Faith is not just something in your head or in your heart. It is manifested in your fingers and in your wallets and in your, your words and in your silence and in the ways in which you eat and do school and play and the hobbies we pick up and the hobbies we lay down. Faith is so much more than just like some inner private agreement to do a thing. Do you see that? In the coming weeks, we'll dig into this a little more. But then I actually want to land here too, and then we'll go back to the beginning of Hebrews 11. We're going to land here with um, the beginning of Hebrews 12, okay? Um, I'll, I'll go right through the end of 11 to 12. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this inherit, these, all these people who come before us in the family of God, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. see it, it action, There's behaviors that are associated with this. And let us run with endurance, The race that set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of of the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord, friends. Thanks be to God. Next week, as we talk about faith being a gift, we're going to come back to this Jesus being the founder, the beginner, the author of our faith and the perfecter of it, maybe a little bit today, but mostly tomorrow, okay? This is an, an amazing chapter to talk about faith. It's a gold mine. I commend it to you for your small groups, your quiet time, whatever you want. Just Hebrews 11 is absolutely gold, okay? Okay, here's where we're landing tonight. Here's where we're, we're going to focus, okay? A definition of faith in the Scriptures. Hebrews 11, 1. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's unpack that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so faith, it, it, it's, it's a big idea here, friends. It, it brings together the past and the future into the present. Okay? Faith brings together the past and the future into the present. It, it, it is thinking about all of those things. So faith is the assurance. Faith is, in the present moment, a kind of confidence. So faith is something we have presently. Faith is something that we have in the moment, right now. And what we have in faith is confidence in things that we hope for and things not seen. So in other words, it's 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 not a hoping for something that's right in front of me and something that I can put my hands around. I don't call it faith. When I have it, it's just called in the Bible, sight. Like, we, I don't need to have faith anymore that... Um, that I've got a, a phone that can record a video because the phone is recording the video. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, faith is is, 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 a, is a confidence in something I don't have yet, but I hope for. I said it incorporates the past too. It's You have confidence because of things that have happened in the past, because of some kind of evidence that existed before you. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't call it faith. You would just call it hoping or call it wishing or something, right? My daughter turns 10 tomorrow, and she really wants a horse, okay? We're not getting her a horse, and it's not because we don't love her. I think we're not getting her a horse because we love her, <laughs> you know? Um, in any case, she wants a horse. She has zero faith that she's getting a horse, but she wants a horse. What's the difference? The difference is evidence. We don't have a stable. We don't have a trailer. We don't have a paddock. We don't have a bunch of money to, to, to buy a horse um, she's also turning 10 and we're barely struggling to take care of a puppy she would not say i have faith that my mom and dad are getting me a horse she might say i hope they get me a horse do you see the difference you see the difference what is it that would create faith for her well if we did get a trailer if we started taking her to a, to like see horses regularly and we were like, hey honey, if you ever want a horse, have you thought about this? She might go, interesting. There's a lot of things that are lining up that make me have faith now that they might get me a horse. If she were to have faith, the thing that would shape that, nourish that, um, grow that, strengthen that, would actually be moments in her history that point toward that being a reality the crocus flower. Yesterday, um, I, I was talking with a friend who's a videographer. because so I was asking for some help for lighting for these videos. And, and like right now I'm still using like lamps in my office, you know, and next week we'll hopefully have some better equipment. But when I sat with him, he was giving me these pointers on um, a, on a two point lighting system. And I was like, you sure we don't need three lights? And, and for this map that he drew out, and he's like, definitely not. And I, it doesn't make sense to me, but because of his history of being a really good videographer, I actually have faith that if I do what he says, it will work out like I hope it works out. But if he didn't have that history, then it would just be a weird hope, okay? Let me give you another example from film. Um, I saw Back to the Future this week in the movie theaters, and so I'm thinking about like movies I loved as a kid. But Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, if you haven't seen it, it's your fault now. It's also worth rewatching multiple times. It's one of the best top five movies ever made. Um, maybe top three or one. Um, it's really, really good. Um, but there's, there's this moment in the movie where Indiana Jones is, um, is placing his hand over his heart and he's about to step kind of into what seems to him to be thin air over this chasm, okay? If the movie had opened with that scene and you didn't have any history... He had, he had no facts, no no evidence, no whatever. You would just go, what an idiot. That's maybe blind faith, but I don't even want to call it faith. That would just be like a weird hope in something that has zero evidence for you to think that it would be there. You're going to fall to your death, sucker. You would think he's dumb. But by the end of the movie, when he has you know, seen all these clues, when all this stuff written in this journal is, is uh, correlated with true things... Um, when, it, when it helps this journal and these clues help him pass two previous tests and he knows this is a third one in light of it, now it's still terrifying. I still don't think I would do it, hypothetically in the story. But now when he puts his hand on his heart and he's about to take a step, it doesn't seem, it's it's not just an empty wish. You go, man, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that communicate that maybe this is gonna work. He actually has faith that it might work now. But it's not because he's, got, he's a man of faith. It's not because he you know, has a, an Enneagram type or like a disposition that's just easier for him to believe. It's because he's looking at all these things that have come before him. And he was so skeptical about things, but now he's like, man, maybe. Maybe because of how this stuff has played out in my history. The difference between just wishing for a thing and faith is evidence. I want I want the next generation to have faith in Jesus as Lord. I want God to raise up leaders in that generation for the family, for the church, for the marketplace and this world. I I want them to discover real life in Jesus Christ. I want their faith in Him to be so big that they are living like exiles and sojourners in the world. And they are seeing the mouths of lions stopped and justice accomplished. You know, I I want them to see those things and I want through faith for those things to happen for sure. How does that come about? Well, according to the author of Hebrews and according to Jesus, it doesn't come about by somebody going into the room and being a better Christian in some like, you know, look in the mirror and and, and speak positively to yourself or something, it doesn't come about that way. It actually comes about by them having experiences of the kingdom of God in their life. Friends, at the house, when we sort of plan events and, and whether that's just like a, 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 one of our staff members takes you out to breakfast, which we'd love to do, take you out to coffee or breakfast or something, or go on a walk and talk about life and pray with you, or, or whether we're planning a retreat or a cookout or, or we taking people on spiritual formation trips over Christmas break or whatever else, when we're doing these things, one of our ringing hopes in all of it is that you would have a moment where you taste and see that the Lord is good. And that we, as ambassadors of Jesus, give you a picture of his kingdom that you might taste and see that the Lord is good. That you might have an experience of God's kingdom that's coming ultimately in its fullness one day. That you might have an experience of it in part now. Not that you would go, oh my gosh, that's so great. I don't even want what he's what He's, come, what he's bringing later. No, no, no. That you would experience it now in such a way that you go, if if I can experience a little part of it now, maybe this whole thing is true. Maybe this is the crocus flower. Maybe this is the sign that all of that is true. Practically speaking, here's what I mean. How can somebody believe that God is forgiving if they've never experienced forgiveness? How can they they believe that... um, that, that, that God doesn't respect our hierarchies of male-female, slave-free, Greek-Gentile. Uh, how, how can we believe that God loves us all equally and dignifies all of us and is, unless people have experienced some of that happening in the church? How can they believe God is generous unless they've experienced g- generosity? Don't you know that we love because He first loves Don't you know that nobody can believe unless they hear? How can somebody have faith unless they've experienced something that gives them cause to have faith? Which is why, friends, not only do we want you to experience uh, uh, God's kingdom and taste and see that He's good, but that's why the church must be about that in the world. We must be little Christs. We must be, especially when we're together, probably even more importantly when we're together than when we're isolated. Do people see the kingdom of God manifested in part that might push against the kingdoms of this world in such a way and create a rival narrative in the midst of our culture that says maybe, maybe the thing that's whispered in the dark is really true. Maybe the thing I'm afraid that isn't true, that God might love me, is real. People will only have faith in that if they can taste and see it in part now. If you are struggling to have faith in God, you don't need to go into your room and just work harder. You need God to show up. And what that means for us in the church is that we need to be out there with you, loving you, caring for you, brothers and sisters. If you are a follower of Jesus, we are. God has decided not to take us out of the world. He's, He's decided to place us right into the midst of it, and He prays that we would. And He's working to keep us from the evil one. But he has decided when he wants to show up in the world, he's going to send his church. You know, if I, um, to come back to the crocus flower, if it's really cold in the winter, and and today actually is a little bit of a warmer day, and it's kind of nice, right? Um, But yeah, I was so cold yesterday. I'm so sick and tired of it, especially because I got this little puppy, right? And I don't like walking out like a million times a day, taking him to pee when it's so cold, okay? But like, let's say you and I are hanging out at my house, and and we walk over to the the sunroom, and we look out the windows, and, and I'm like, and we're both sick and tired of the winter. And we're both hoping and wishing that the spring would come. And we walk outside and I point my finger out. And let's say we look out and all you see is like dirty snow that's been out there for a while and ice and, and, the, and the trees are still bare and the, and the clouds are like a gray blanket hanging over the sky. And it's like depressing for everybody except for like a London introvert. You know what I mean? And, and we're looking out the window and, and I say, man, look, spring is coming. Have faith in it. If all you see when you look out there is like the dead trees and the snow and the gray sky, you're actually probably gonna be frustrated that I'm even trying to stir up your hope because there's no sign of life. You're like, dude, it's freaking like eight degrees outside and there's ice and snow everywhere and there's no leaves on the tree. Like, what do you mean spring's coming soon? What do you mean have hope? It's a terrible day to try to get me to have hope. But if I could say, "But, but look, do you see right over there? That purple flower busting up through the snow, that's a crocus flower. And those don't come unless spring's almost here. And I know that there may even still be another snow coming. I know that it will die before spring is here, but it means the corner has been turned. Friends, I swear to you, if you could see the crocus flower, you would go, maybe... Maybe that flower that broke through the ice and the snow, maybe that would help my faith break through the despair and the cynicism and the, cold, the coldness that exists in my heart too. Maybe I could have faith where before I only at best had hope. Maybe I could have faith. What the world needs is crocus flowers of God's kingdom everywhere. And you know what, Christian? We're supposed to be those crocus flowers. There is one in history that stands over all, and it's Jesus Christ, the one who busted up through the ground first before the spring. And his resurrection is the great fact of history upon which everything turns. It happened out in the open and it exists for all to see. If you need your faith nourished, go look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and go look for the evidence of his kingdom for the past 2,000 years as the Spirit of God has sent his church into the world. Look at the things that the church has been doing. Look at the people who've gone before you as saints, as heroes do you can you taste and see in their lives that the Lord might actually be who he says he is and that spring might actually be coming soon